Richard, I think it's super sad that DC Fontana apparently had severe brain trauma after she worked on the original series and the animated series because lonely among us was like she wrote that this was a third season episode of the original series like no i think she wrote yesteryear and that was just that was it like she She was done that was a brilliant script that was probably one of her opuses if not her opus and you know it's really hard to when you do something of that caliber follow that up i mean I think she just used the last of her gifts on that because this was pretty much an early Babylon 5 episode. Ouch. Yeah. That's even harsher yeah. than calling it a third season episode of TOS. No, no, no. I, it, it was... I, I, this was an unpleasant episode in a lot of ways. It was. And I need to get... You know, we need to get this out of the way right off the bat cannibalism is not funny no and well it's not cannibalism it's murder and eating the body of a different like they're they're not true true it's not cannibalism okay yeah that's fine but yeah like they 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 have the b plot just ends on this really horrifying note it's like oh one of the ambassadors ate the other wah wah and it's like well no didn't even eat him oh he killed killed him and then sent his body to the ship's cook to prepare it. Now, here's one quick question. Why did he think that he was going to get away with that? I have a quick question. So Uh, isn't everything replicator-based? Like, don't you just, you know... Why is there a cook on the ship? Like... Is is the cook maybe just a technician who makes sure the... uh, replicators are working right because i didn't think anyone was doing any actual cooking here that's actually a really good question and i think part of that is just simply the fact that the technology in the sort of world was not fully fleshed out yet because of course the original enterprise had a cook and um maybe they thought that there was going to be a cook on the ship for whatever reason i mean they could still call it the kitchen i don't know that they've actually mentioned the replicators by name yet and Um, i thought they did i mean they definitely talked about that's how food is made um, yeah they, that, that was the point in this episode yeah but maybe it's i don't know at this point maybe the idea was that the replicators would make like raw foods and they would still need to be cooked or something i i don't know but that that's kind of one of my speculations i mean i think it's a good question and i think also it, it it's kind of just there to to put a capper on that plot that totally which, meaningless and useless plot that goes nowhere and does nothing well, and just again ends in this really horrible note well, to me, the episode is strange, right? Because it is basically Journey to Babel, except terrible. And I, I was it's a few episodes, but terrible. Yeah, yeah. And part of the problem with this episode is that it's it has about ten minutes of plot stretched out into forty five minutes. And I kept looking at the time left yeah. on this episode and saying, "How?" It felt like there were ten minutes left in this episode for about an hour. Like I don't. It's just so boring. Like nothing happens, and it's just like these long stretches where it's obvious padding. Um, I mean, the scenes where Picard is possessed were great, just because he's really creepy as the possessed Picard, like. But that's all Patrick Stewart. That's less the... I mean, I, I think the fact that those scenes are good is more to do with the acting than it has to... That's more of an accident than anything in the script. Like, well, I think the he, way he puts his feet up on the desk, just this very weird, abrupt motion, or the way he's carrying himself that's so different. Like, stuff like that. It, that was that was at least well worth watching. I mean, I think you could say that about a lot of these early... Oh, yeah. You know, episodes of The Next Generation, because... 
a lot of these episodes are not objectively very good. The scripts are terrible. You know, the, the, the motivations and the plots are not very interesting or they're sort of retreads of the original series in a lot of ways. And they don't work for these characters. And I think a lot of the characters are very ill-defined at this point in the series. But a lot of it works just because they did cast really strong they actors. They have a very strong cast. You yeah. know, we can say a few of them are not up to par. I mean, Denise Crosby, of course, Tasha Yar is, is not great. But you have Patrick Stewart. You have Brent Spiner, who's great. Yeah. You have um, LeVar Burton, who is great and also was probably the most well-known actor in the cast really? uh, at this point. Well, because I mean, he, he, had had, done Roots. he had done Roots. and, and um, That was about 10 years prior, right? I think only a few Five, years prior. Ten years, yeah. yeah. So he was definitely like of 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 all of the cast members, he was kind of the 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 one that was the most well known. And so, lonely among us, I think it, you're right. It does work in that they're they're doing the best they can with really awful material, and. You know, contrast it with the third season of the original series, where they had a, a lot of it was really awful material, but. And they didn't seem like they were having much fun with it. A lot of the actors seemed like they had mentally checked out. You know, I'm sure they were auditioning for yeah. other things at this point because the writing was on the wall. I mean, Leonard Nimoy went to join the cast of Mission Impossible after uh, the original series was uh, was canceled. Yeah, so, there, there, there's a lot of moments in the original series towards the end where Shatner especially thinks the show is better than the material and he's showing his contempt for the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think the difference here is that the actors are are, are still new to the show and the series is young and I think they think it can go up. And so there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of really good performances here just because I think that they do believe in the show still. Well, you know, that's the thing. Like the show isn't good yet. This if this were one of the first things that you had shown me of a Star Trek, I would not have been into it. Um, thing is, I know where the show eventually gets to go, um, and I know the potential that it has. This is a show that... And while this may be objectively worse than, say, uh, um, some of the third season episodes, um, yeah, at that point, that was a show on decline. That was a show that was falling apart. That They were just filling up time they had money the money was going to people these shows needed to be produced but it was they they were all treating it like it was mcdonald's at that point this you have a the show isn't good because it hasn't found its voice yet and i think it's interesting to see the moments where they are beginning to figure it out again picard possessed is much more interesting than picard drunk from the naked uh now yes you know i i you can tell that he has a little better of an idea of who this person is and what this uh, uh, creature infecting him is and what this hybrid would be and those kind of things. Just, again, a little more experience. It, I can see as the seasons go on that even getting even better. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the interesting things about these early season episodes is just how plot dependent they are because the show really does become much more of a character show yeah. in later seasons. I mean, to its credit, I think. And Oh yeah. You know, what what uh what I think the show is really struggling with is being the sort of it it has a lot of people working on it that were working on television in in the 60s and 70s yeah. and television back then Obviously, it was not character-based. Characters were were sort of broadly sketched archetypes. 
and you, you even see this in the original series, you know, certainly the characters had motivations and had things like that, but you didn't really get a sense of their internal lives a lot of the time. You really didn't get a sense of them as people so much. And I think already in this show, it, we're starting to see some of that, but it's it's struggling against the people they have writing these episodes, which are original series and 60s and 70s era television veterans. You know, I'm thinking about some stuff that was brought up in, like, the pilot, and I know you were saying stuff like uh, Jordy asking about his eyes just never really gets brought up again. Um, they, you know, there, there were a lot of things that were made a big point of this, rela- this past between uh, Dr. Crusher and Picard. Like, she does, you know... It's obvious that they know each other going back a long time, you know, in their right. interactions. She more she will call him by his first name, things like that. But um, number one, you see a bit of that among the crew as it is. This is a much more familiar crew with each other. Um, and, you know, it, Kirk, it was only like Dr. McCoy who would call him by his first name. You know, we see that going in around the crew in this time. Um, stuff like Riker and Troy's relationship if you hadn't seen that one scene in the pilot in any of the interactions that they've had in any of the subsequent episodes, you wouldn't think that they had anything other than, you know, two people who were just working together. Like they have no particular ness to each other. And which is interesting because, you know, uh, uh, I attended the, um, the, the, the big Star Trek convention in Las Vegas a couple months ago. And one of the interesting things about, about one of the panels there was that, uh, you know, Riker and well, Riker, you know, <laughs> Uh, what's they name? have names. Jonathan Frakes and and, and Marina Sirtis said that that one of the things they they always did they actually talked about this was it was never made explicit but they always played Riker and Troy as as sort of like ex lovers. Yeah. Um. And I think you can sort of see that in some of the ways that they interact with each other. I think they're very careful with their each other's personal space. Yeah. And, and I, I it, which does number one make sense, especially as a counselor, she would know the best way to handle him. They are professionals and. I think there is an element where this is early in the series. They just haven't had as many scenes together. As you said, it's still about plot. There would maybe there were some scenes written between the two of them that were just cut because they needed to. I don't know. Show you know it, it would have been out of a poor choice, but I can see that being a decision. Yeah, and 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 speaking of other characters, I think we should probably talk about Data because this episode and the one we're going to talk about next, Justice, in a lot of ways featured Data pretty heavily in 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 ways that we haven't seen him be featured before and i think he's has been featured a lot in the i think right now the 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 the, the, the series gives it, except for wesley the series recognizes who's interesting and they realize that data is a really really interesting character and a really complicated character i think he's actually from what we've seen probably the most complicated character because he is all of these different sides. Right. And I think what's interesting about him in, in this episode is that, I mean, I think this is really the first time where we see his his complete willingness to, to, to go where his curiosity will take him. And, you know, someone tells him an offhanded comment about Sherlock Holmes, and then yeah. suddenly he starts acting like Sherlock Holmes and smoking a pipe, which on one hand is kind of ridiculous, but but on the other hand, it, it, it's kind of fun, and it, well, it allows... Well, the same, um, and it does say something that I am getting a lot of episodes kind of confused with each other at this point. They aren't that distinctive in some ways. Yeah. Um, is this the one where Picard snaps at him to stop babbling? No, that's Justice. Okay, well, either, I mean, taken together, though, they do almost 
Data gets very obsessed by things. Well, and, I was about yeah. to say, he almost strikes me as someone who has Asperger's. I was going to say. It's, which is very strange, but... Not necessarily. I've, I, I mean, I've read a lot of articles about Spock and Asperger's syndrome. Like, I know that's that's a thing. And it's interesting how this is a different kind of formulation of that. Um, they, You could take Spock and Data as, you know, symbolic of people presenting the same type of level on the autistic spectrum of an extremely high functioning except both are going in very different ways yeah i mean because that that is a thing asperger's is not you know a monolithic syndrome like autism is not and i i think at this point in the show as well while it had been established that data was an android i think that they were still a little unclear as to exactly the the origins and the technology involved because yeah. you know in this episode he is examined in sick bay which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you know but it, it, i mean he said stuff like i still have you know in the naked now i still have pores as far as he's, right i mean it i get the sense he's a little more closer to a cyborg except for the fact that that term generally implies a person who has had mechanical parts added to them mm-hmm. um I think what he's intended to be is some kind of half-organic, half-cybernetic organism. Um, There were parts of him that were built and parts of him that grew, and I know a tank must have been involved. That that you know that I'm picturing a tank with this computer skeleton and flesh growing on it. Like, well, that's... we we will find out more about Data's origins actually very shortly. Oh, good. Uh, either I think it's either next week or the week after. But so, again, I think this I, th- that is a sign that they recognize that he is the one who does have the most fascinating origin because, frankly, all of them we assume are fairly typical for their species. We kind of know what Klingons kind of are. We know you know Tasha Yar has this weird colony world backdrop, but as far as we know, her birth and all of that was normal. Picard grew up in upper-class France. You know, we, we, we know the basics of, and since most of these characters are human, we don't need to, we don't have an interest in how they were born. Data's the only one who does have an interesting origin because he does have a very unusual origin. Again, we can't even begin to, I can't even begin to speculate where he came, how they made I mean, him. I mean, I will say that um, I think that of all the main characters, I think you're right, Data does have the more interesting origin and, and, and sort of the mystery surrounding that. At least as of right this As moment. of right this minute. I think the, yeah, I mean, I think that early on, I mean, you know, uh, Worf also is, is intriguing in some ways because, uh, you he know. He is cl- very different from the Klingons we've seen and we he's still very, haven't had. He's very different from the Klingons that we've seen before and also. Except perhaps in the movies. Maybe. He is. But he's also someone who we don't really get a good sense of where he comes from or why he's there. And, you know, it it's. At this point in the show's run, we don't really know what the status of, of, of the Klingon Empire is. Uh, we don't know why he's in Starfleet. Are there other Klingons in Starfleet? These are all open questions. And I think, you know, to, to fans of the show, I think these would have been interesting questions. Perhaps not to, to someone like you, they would not be yeah. interesting questions. But, but I find them interesting questions. Well, let me and, ask this. I mean, I, I've, I, I say this is somebody who has recently seen Star Trek VI. So, and I know that that was... A couple seasons into Next Gen at that point, correct? It was four or five, maybe. So by that point, I know that in a lot of ways, Next Gen was what kind of codified what the modern conception of Klingons is. And that was as, you know, the movie was going as much from that. Uh, I noticed you had a, there was 
uh, uh, Kirk's lawyer was named Worf, which I assume was, you know, uh, almost a inside reference in that way because they already had the character of Worf. It was supposed um, to be an ancestor of his. Yeah. You know? um, and again, my understanding that going from that, I can understand where Klingons came about a hundred years later, um, especially after the events of Star Trek six. Yeah. It's very yeah. obvious how Klingons eventually entered the Federation. However, where well, are it's we- interesting. You said they entered the Federation. Mm. Well, because they don't, they don't. Um, we what- don't know that yet. Okay. Um, and it's interesting that you think that, well, again, I'm just going with the fact that I, I, what it means to be a member of the Federation is such a, you know, ambiguous term anyway. And well, I don't think it actually is, and here's I, and here's why. Okay. And I think this episode is the first the first episode of the Next Generation, which really makes that an open question, um, because we have these two alien species that live on separate planets in the same solar system, the Antikins and the Salai, that are mortal enemies, and and, and they're yeah. both applying for the Federation. And at the very beginning of the episode, when when the 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 Salai delegation beams up the the reptile people. Um, you know, Tasha Yar turns to Riker and says, they don't seem like great Federation candidates. And, and Riker kind of goes, yeah, maybe not. So so my question is, as seen so far in The Next Generation, do we know what a good Federation member looks like and why these two races aren't good Federation candidates? Well, I think it's fairly obvious why they aren't good Federation candidates because they are in a race war with each other. And, for, you know, from what we have seen of the Federation at this point, it seems that is probably, you know... No, we haven't... Now, it has not been explicitly said don't have a race war is one of the Federation rules, but let's be obvious. I would assume that... <laughs> I, I would assume that don't have a race war is probably in the first five. It's probably yeah. up there. Yeah. So, I mean... It's, I think I think it's like, you know, paragraph 7, subsection yeah. B in the Federation Charter, yeah. You know, it's very clear that the Federation has some very specific values, has some very specific laws, has some guidelines for how you're supposed to. I mean, we assume that they will be, if they join up with the Federation, they will have to follow some form of the prime directive. And, sure, yeah. You know, again, race war is not a prime directive, you know, is not following the prime directive. I, I kind of un- assumed that it meant as much as that. Now, I don't... Well, I, I, I guess when I say the Klingons joined the Federation, I guess they... I mean, they're not enemies of the Federation anymore, and it is well, here's possible a, to be... Uh, yeah, to have I, an al- well, he, I assume they have an alliance without being a member. Yeah, that would probably be accurate. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things here is that um, number one, this Lonely Among Us is a great opportunity for for Riker and Picard to uh, give some great smarmy dialogue about how you know humans used to um, uh, uh, disagree with each yeah. other and be enemies over things as silly as economic, even yeah. economic systems and things like that. Which is now, like, wow, okay. this is a post economic society. I thought that was a funny line. No, it was it. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, well, but I mean, it, it comes across as funny, which is probably not great. Well, because, it comes across as funny in in the sense of it gives a very clear idea of where the society is and where Picard is. Because while – I mean he says it like he's reciting the most absurd fact he's ever learned. Like, you know, they even fought over economic systems, you know, like, you know, I, we, we could come up with – a dozen ridiculous things that you know people could fight over. I'm thinking again, and iPhone, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you know, oh, she had a four and a four S and they're trying to kill each other. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we think it's a stupid thing, but, um, I think the fact that he mentions, you know, even economic system as kind of the icing on the cake of stupid things. And well, cause I think, you know, yeah. I think it's an interesting line and I think it's an interesting line for this reason, because it really sets up the Federation and, and, and humanity at this point. And, and of course yeah. other members of the Federation as well, because this is a much more inclusive Federation already. Right. Oh yeah. Um, that it really does make it clear without belaboring the point too much that, these are questions which don't even don't even arise in their minds because if this isn't a post-scarcity society, it is almost as close to one as yeah. to not even matter, right? Like the the level to which the Federation is a post-scarcity society and not is like in the 95th percentile. And let, let me also make this point in the in living memory we were in a scarcity society in this universe. I mean, in Kirk's time, there was still scarcity. Yeah. There, so. Yeah, in Kirk's time. Yeah, you know, Dr. McCoy would not think, uh, you know, from the pilot, he would think at this point, oh, yes, we don't need to go to war over economic systems. But he also remembered a time where he did understand why people might. Right. I think that gives a clear understanding of where Picard is that he doesn't even... I feel there are times that Picard can't even fathom certain things that because the other way and the way they are talking to well, these the way, aliens about eating meat, they can't even fathom it. The, you know? the way that they look at certain things, uh, you know, economic systems in particular, I think is very similar to the way that we might look at something like, um, you know, feudalism or, you know, like or, or, or like burning people at the stake for being witches. Like, it's just kind of like so I mean, I th- I'm thinking even that like you can't you can't even just you know you can't even imagine that anyone would believe that. I, I'm thinking even a war between, you know, the cult of Mithra and people who believed in Thor, like something like that kind of thing, like, you know, just a deadly war to the death about which God exists. That's how we would, you know, take that. Like, well, I don't know if that's a great example. No, depending on what's going on in the world nowadays. Mm. But I don't think we're beyond that. Yeah. No. No. I. I'm. I'm not saying we're beyond religious war, but that particular religious war. Yeah, but I think I think the difference you're missing here is that it's not just a matter of difference. It's a matter of like. You know, it's not a matter of category. It's 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 a matter of of like total like different. Like Picard would not be like, well, I don't understand why socialists and capitalists argue. He doesn't understand why people argued over economic okay, systems point. totally. Yeah. Right. And so, like to your point, no, someone who doesn't sense. understand that, uh, you know, whatever the hell you said, um, would you know, like mm-hmm. I I still get it. You, you understand? Know? No, I I get what you mean. The the particulars don't matter to. My example implied the existence of a particular religious war, which would be legitimate. Right. Where that exact, where the conflict itself, the concept of religious or economic or whatever war is itself illegitimate. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you're wrong, basically. I was philosophically throwing out an idea. (laughs) Philosophically. Um. The other thing that I want to talk about in this episode is just the complete lack of problem solving evinced by anybody because no, no, no. They saw the P and they made the leap that it meant Picard. I mean, that, yeah, that that's a pretty, I just, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. 
look. They, they, they couldn't figure out who was doing this and had to have Data pretend to be Sherlock Holmes to figure it out. Like, on the one hand, the show wants to be taken very seriously. Very seriously. Very seriously. And on the other hand, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I love how, you know, they, they don't even seem to, it takes them forever to, I'm having blackouts. Just like the person who passed out and also someone's dead. Gee, I don't think anyone's the problem. Wes doesn't think that his mother acting extremely strangely warrants a mention to anybody. Like, that's his mom. You would think that if your mom was acting very weird, especially if you have a fairly close relationship with her, as they do. Um, apparently they do. They're not that close, apparently, because... Uh, you know, it's just, just everybody has to be a little. This is an idiot ball episode, you know. Yeah, that, 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 that's that, that, yeah. that, that just it, the, the 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 term was invented for this exact kind of episode. They just need people to. They need data to not to forget that Doctor Crusher is looking up some completely different subject and is acting very weird, and that that suddenly the navigation system she was looking at five minutes ago blew up. Like, gee, um. The warp core fixes itself. I, you know, I mean, it's and, like, and Picard's like, well, that should be fine. We've got to go to Parliament. And yeah, yeah. What I thought was interesting is it's so much of a bigger deal in this than it was in the original to use regulations to deceit the captain for a bit. Like, they did that a few times in the original series. It was always... Uh, you know, they always needed to make sure. They always knew that, you know, it was because Kirk was genuinely incapacitated. But they did it regularly enough. And they in here, they need a whole – they need pretty much everybody. The entire senior staff needs to be meeting in secret. They all pretty much – you know, and, you know, Dr. Crusher saying, oh, you need to back me up on this. You know, I need – you know, it's very clear that she needs Riker to keep her jo- – like – you never had Bones worrying about that. I think on the one hand, that's that that's something I like because it feels a little more realistic. It feels it on, also feels like. A, on the other hand, I I don't necessarily agree with you that McCoy would do it at the drop of a hat because not I that think, not the drop of a hat. I think well, I think a lot of at times, this point it's very clear that there is some kind of presence in Picard. Like well, yeah, but my my point is that in in the original series. The senior staff were basically three people. Yeah. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah. And if Kirk was acting weird, Spock and McCoy would talk to each other and Spock yeah. and he would he would get Spock's like backing to do it. He wouldn't just do it without talking to Spock. Oh, no, 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 and no, no, so no. I just think in this episode And usually one of them brought it brings it up to the other. The only reason why there's more people involved in the decision is because there's more people that are main cast members, honestly. That, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um and also, uh, also you have very, Troy, but who, does, who can yeah. read the captain as well. And so that that's helpful, I think. Yeah. It, uh, but it does give a different feel to what the two ships are because you get the sense of Kirk and stuff kind of making a bit of it up as they go along. Again, you can have a crew that has a le- lot less... Um, there seems something a bit more military about, you know, you're the captain and you have your two guys and, you know, they're the ones who... Here, there seems something a bit more corporate about having a half dozen people who need to... I mean, this is almost like a board meeting trying to dethrone the CEO than it is a, you know, we need to 
uh, perform a military mutiny in a way. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And I think part of that is just the time period that it was made in. Yeah. And also I think part of it is... I mean, is, I say it neither is good or bad. It's, no, I just I just think... And part of it also is, is the fact that this is a much more ensemble-based show. Yeah. And, and so they want to highlight all the characters as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what would you give Lonely Among Us? Uh, I would give it... Th- Three disgusting twist endings. Yeah, it's um, it's like a one. I, 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 this is probably not the worst episode of the Next Generation. Oh boy! But it's up there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, the second worst episode of the Next Generation, <laughs> Justice. So I watched this. I watched the show in my living room, uh, and I have roommates. And during this episode, I was terrified. That one of them would walk in because I would have to – this is the kind of episode that you have to explain what the fuck is on your TV. Yeah. This was not a comfortable episode to watch. Um, Richard, do, do you do you have a problem with I love? I don't like blondes. Would, would you are, – are you uncomfortable? We yes. Don't, we don't want to make you uncomfortable. I want to not be made we, we, uncomfortable. Would you like to play at love, Richard? <laughs> I just, you know, you know, I mean, so this episode is like part Singapore, part L.A., right? Like, that's the sense that we were supposed to I, get. I don't know what that means. Uh, like, everyone's all blonde and tan, and they kill you if you throw gum on the floor. Oh, yeah. You don't remember the, sure. uh, that kid who got cane and sick? Do you remember that? I remember that. Was that prior or post to this? Because this feels like a rip. Oh, very post. That happened in, like, 1997 or something. <laughs> Because this episode almost seems like a rip from the headlines, a uh, sci-fi treatment of that. No, I don't think it was. It was terrible, whatever it was. You know, I have to say, I made a joke in the transition that this is the second worst episode in The Next Generation. but And I don't remember liking this episode very much. But watching it again... I don't think it's that bad. And I know that that sounds (laughs) very, very measured, but you kind of have, you you really do have to grade the first season of The Next Generation on a a curve. And, you know, some, what I, the thing, like, what I like about this episode is that it does set up an interesting problem for them to solve. And it also has an interesting B plot, which directly connects with the A plot, which is a problem that I think the show has had in the past already. Certainly in the last episode. Yeah. And the other thing I like about it is all of the characters act like themselves. No one Mm. is not acting like themselves. You get some nice character Mm. moments between a lot of different people. And it moves along at a nice clip. I think it has a couple of different, you know, there's a couple of different halves to this episode. There's certainly... You know, pre Wesley falling on the flowers and post Wesley falling on the flowers, yeah. but it does seem like it's going to be two different episodes. Yeah, too. but I I don't think it's I don't think it's well, really that bad. What I liked about the ep- why I think it's an interesting episode, and it does, you know, the first part of it, the you know, let's frolic, let's play, we're all going to run, and you know, wear these you know, two strips of ribbon, and that's our shirt. Um, but. It goes to a much interesting place, and this very much this is the cast of the next generation dealing with almost literally an original series episode problem. Um, this is half the apple, half um, uh, uh, the side of paradise. I would say, sure, uh, a yeah. little more the apple, but and it with a completely different cast. You have a completely different philosophy. This would have been a very different episode if 
Kirk had been at the helm because this would have been an episode about how do I take down that giant ship and this weird alien that's enslaved this planet. That's what Kirk would have found this episode to be about. Uh, Picard finds this episode to be about how do we give these people the dignity and self-rule whilst not letting either of our systems of rule conflict with the with the other. And because they are very different people, they have very different goals and that I, I think this episode has been one of the clearest what the difference between the two shows is. Absolutely. And I you know, I know we had mentioned this in a previous episode, but but I think this is probably the clearest episode so far that we've had yeah. that this is very much a post Vietnam show. And mm. you know, the original series was very much, even though it was about peaceful exploration of the galaxy, uh, it was and respecting life in all its forms and these kind of wonderful yeah. things. It, it also was very much a show that if it didn't believe in American interventionism, it, it, it didn't really question it. And so what I find interesting about The Next Generation is that this is a show that is very much questioning that and is rejecting it outright. Well, I think this moment I started liking the episode was when they had uh, Picard in the talking to the assem- everybody and their almost like he starts giving the usual well you know and every single thing he says they have a counter there's it in the beginning of this episode you think of them as these stupid horny aliens that are just jogging and stuff like that and they have this unquestioned system of law and they're being you know slaves to this machine again that's where the apple was that scene it makes it clear that Yes, they live a carefree, you know, lifestyle where they're all, you know, tanned and beautiful and, you know, doing what would come naturally at that point. But that doesn't mean that they're stupid. That doesn't mean that they have ever not – that they've not questioned their lifestyle. They very speci- – I mean when he's, he's – you know, he, he's saying, you know, you, you, this, is our, this is our law. Don't you respect our law, you know? When he's saying, you know, well, we've gone beyond capital punishment – You know, the guy's reaction is, oh, well, we're a barbaric backward race. Like, he recognizes – he's basically saying like, you know, look, you saying that is making a very big judgment. This this works for us. This is – one is not better than the other. And that's when the point where I think it earns that you have to let these people have their laws somehow, that that their laws are not unjust. The people in the apple – the people in this side of paradise were being controlled by an outside entity which did not allow them to question their beliefs in the uh, 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 Argonians, uh, Return of the Archons. Return of the oh, Archons. Yeah, sure. In Return of the Archons, same basic thing. You have people who are under a spell. And for a while, you're going to think that they – while I thought that in this episode, they were going to say, well, this god creature has put a – but that's not it at all. They are – recognizing that they do have an easy life and they can have an easy life and why not? Yeah. And I think the other way that you see that very clearly is in the scene where Picard beams up the the woman and, and shows her, Oh yeah. Shows her their God. And, and Kirk very much would have tried to disabuse her of the notion that this was a God and Picard doesn't ever. He, yeah. he accepts it as their, as their reality and he knows that it's not a god or, or doesn't believe yeah. that it's a god. He believes that it is, is some sort of technologically advanced mm-hmm. alien civilization that is, you know, watching over these people for some reason. Um, but the the sense that I get from him is very much, 
I want to figure out a way to respect these people and their lifestyle because it obviously works yeah. for them while not having them kill someone <laughs> like on my ship. I don't know that the episode ultimately comes to a good conclusion to that. It ends, I think. Yeah, like I think it just ends because it has to end. And I, you know, obviously the show was not going to go there and what they weren't going to kill Wesley Crusher on air or anything like that. Though, well, you know, (laughs) but it it is, and and you know, I also think there's something there too where. You know, Spock and Star Trek always seem to very much be on the same page in that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And in this case, I think this is the next generation and Picard laying down a different gauntlet and saying, no, the needs of the many sometimes don't outweigh the needs of the few and or the one. And Uh, Picard Picard is willing to risk the safety of his entire ship to, 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 to rescue Wesley. And. I don't believe, like, I think that that's something that Kirk would have done, but I think it's something that Spock would have vehemently tried yeah. to talk him out of. And nobody tries to talk Picard out of it. That's a, that's an extreme difference, I think, in this, in this show so far. Well, that's, I, you know, I, I, I was thinking, and I think Picard would have figured out a way to save Edith Killer and, uh, sitting on the edge of forever. I don't think he would have let her die. And, uh, I think that, I, I I totally disagree with you. I really? Mean, yeah. I because because you know the one thing that Picard respects is is the natural order of things and and how things should be. And so, uh, you know, in the city on the edge of forever, mm-hmm. Edith Keeler died. Edith Keeler has to die. That's fair. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that he would have done anything differently. I also don't think that Picard would have gotten into a romantic relationship with her. No, so no, no. That that would also either, would not but... have been you know uh, you know a. Uh, 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 that would not have been a complication, but either way, um, this is, this is another episode, which is really showing us that, that Picard is a, is a different captain than Kirk in a lot of ways. It is really trying to distance the show from the original series and those cast members and that crew. And I think it does a good job. Yeah. And again, we have the prime directive coming more into play. It's getting even more of a specific formulation. Um, and, I don't know. This, I find that there's not a. Te- I don't think there's a terrible lot to say on this, unless I'm mistaken, because it just kind of. I I don't know. I I I a lot of it has to do with. I mean, maybe if it weren't Wesley, I would be less, you know, ambivalent about the predicament, but um. Well, and it I was think... a stupid predicament he got it in. I feel that this is a case where, uh, yes, respect for the law and all of that and ignorance of the law is not a an excuse. But at the same time, um, I would be – given given the severity of the law, given the naivety of the – you know, you don't even like all of these well, things. Well, I, I... I think there's a couple interesting things there. I think number one – the Edo seem almost shocked when Riker says, hey, wouldn't it have been a good idea to tell us this? Yeah. And I think they're shocked because it never occurred yeah. to them that they would need to. You oh, know, yeah. I, I think that they believe that this is the 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 best form of, 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 of governorship and that everybody must live like this. I mean, I, I, I would, so I would I even go a little, little further and say I it almost seems like they don't think about it the way that, you know, we wouldn't need to explain gravity to every person we met. Yeah. Like their law law is literally controlled by God. So it is literally a natural law for them. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's controlled by God, but it's definitely, I think that that ship is there to protect them in some way. I don't, I don't get the sense that the ship when, when I interfere, say controlled, I interferes I in their, in their daily lives. I'm sorry, but, control, I don't mean brought by God, described by God, sure. created by God. That, that may be a uh, yeah. God centered. Um, and I think it's really interesting because, you know, logistically, I mean, my question about this is how would this actually work? Because it, you know, I know for the purposes of an episode, it needs to work, but that's really my one criticism of it is that I don't believe that this would actually really work because a planet is a very large place. It and makes sense in a panopticon kind well, of way. It's, like that, this is, that's what I got. From but that I don't, end. I don't think you can overlook that because you need, oh. you need to believe in the punishment zones as a deterrent. And I don't know that I really can. Yeah, but this, the, the, I, the, I can't, you can't. The answer- chances that, the chances that anyone is going to be in a punishment zone unless they're incredibly large are minute and if the punishment zones are incredibly large like let's say there's only you know two three or four of them on the entire planet that also doesn't seem like a great deterrent because it 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 almost seems too large at that point you know i feel it takes away the randomness i feel like in return of the archons and I mean, the you know, apple I, I, you can't question why oh well how did they just happen to find the one city that happened to have the one computer that you know if they're all all the other cities you know is destroying uh, the one computer going to... Like, it's the kind of question you can't ask in that sense just because... I, it, I This isn't... It's a much old... I, I think this is one of those times where I'm going to be saying this. That's an older method of storytelling that goes unquestioned. That could never fly in a show we wrote today because they would need to address that question. And maybe I, at this point in the series, they do need to address that question. And maybe that's a problem with the series that they haven't realized that yet. I agree with yeah. you, but I also disagree. And with that's you. fair. Cause I, I just, I fundamentally don't think that the, the, the episode works on that level. Especially when, I mean, the, 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 uh, the understanding I got is, yeah, they go from town to town. Basically the cops go from town to town. And if the cops are in your town that week, you know, you can't, do but you don't know what town they're in at any time like and, i guess and i didn't get the sense that there was any kind of mystical or technolot like they just kind of happened to be they heard a commotion of breaking glass and they saw oh no the flowers are broken you know they were in here yeah. earshot That's, well there was no breaking glass but you know what I mean? like they they heard wesley fall they it seems they noticed a commotion I guess. I mean, I don't. I honestly don't know. I mean, that just kind of had to happen for the episode to and move forward. And maybe that's another. But problem I guess with that it wasn't well thought out. Yeah, I mean that that is a problem with it. I think where where it's it's not well thought out. I yeah. mean, I think the episode needs to get there for it to move forward. I just don't know that that was the best way to do it. And maybe you know, see the thing is, in a Kirk episode, they could very easily make it so that way you do have this god machine who is literally watching every person. And when there is a, you know, when there is a crime committed, an alarm goes off and the enforcers, you know, that was essentially the plot of Archons. Um, yeah. Like in a Kirk episode, they could have done that. And I feel that they went with that as a base. And yet um, they didn't necess- they didn't want to make the god being malevolent in this case. And so couldn't have had to take away that element of direct control but what they put in its place was just kind of almost half-assed maybe this is another rewrite episode you know it it, it could be it could be i mean you know the 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 god being is 
is fine for me. I yeah. mean, I don't have much of a problem with it. I think it, 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 it raises some interesting questions because, you know, the, the, the beginning of the episode, they state that they had set some colonists up on a nearby planet and they, they say that, you know, we'll, we'll remove them if you want us to, because obviously this thing is protecting this star cluster or whatever. Um, what, what I do find interesting about that is, is the implication that Picard, I think respects their, respects their sovereignty over this area because he kind of has to. But I also think that he respects it because they're not doing anything that is bad. That's it. And I think once he has a conversation with them and they realize that they have, again, they have thought this out. They understand. And I think, I think it makes it clear that they understand what the death penalty is exactly. I'm thinking about something like, you know, the giver where they don't really understand what, you know, capital punishment or euthanasia. You might need to explain that for the listeners because they might not know what the giver is. Oh, well, it's a book. Um, And they, no, um, I mean, or something like a Logan's Run or a Soylent Green. There there are a lot of media and sci-fi things in which somebody getting killed or an execution is part of the life cycle of this planet, but they don't really understand that it is. I I think that they understand. I was going to say in this, yeah, these people know full well what's going to happen when they, and I think that an old, an original series Star Trek, which had God controlling these people, they wouldn't have been aware that they were killing people. These people maybe not are, and I think that's actually very important to kind of. This is not a legal system that has been frivolously done. It is not something that has been done to them. Um, given the way that, you know, Data specifically says, you know, they recognize that they're, you know, the, the, the aliens recognize that these people are in a stage of the development when worship is appropriate. I mean, I think at some point these people might get to a point in their development where they can have this kind of peace without these restrictive laws. I don't think the gods are going to do anything to dissuade that at that point when they're ready to move on from it. But what would drive them to do that? Then, well, they, though? because they basically live in in a paradise. Well, that's it. There's no, there is no need to change. The, and we're also given the sense that these things, you know, people don't break laws. They they seem to think it's the idea of some again. They they treat the law like you and I would treat gravity. We don't say, well, why don't people just randomly fly off up the earth? You know, well. They don't. It's not, you know, they know that that's impossible. It's not something they do. Yeah. You know, we know, you know, and I obviously the people are enjoying the benefits of their society. Nobody seems to be angsting. Aren't they? Oh, God. I mean, wouldn't you? Not Not, that particular one, but, you know, not with the men that we saw on this episode necessarily. Hey, look, it was 86 and 86. That would have been very attractive. It was 87. Um, Oh, well. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, there. It makes me realize that I don't know that the episode is explicit enough where it needs to go with this because I think there's an implication that they they accept the the Ito's life, lifestyle and the laws and their god being because that is what yeah. Starfleet and the Federation believe in. They believe in non-interference. I mean, there's that line in another episode, I forget which one it is, where Riker says, oh, I think it's an encounter at Farpoint when they're talking to Q, where they say something like, you know, we, we've allowed the strong to overcome the weak. We, you know. Oh, no, no, that was in the um, the one with the Ferengi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah anyway. Exactly. So, um, uh, uh, I, forget, I forget which one that was. But anyway, 
the the last outpost. So, yeah. and then I think you know the interesting thing here is that you know take take that to its logical conclusion. I think that you know yeah. you can have like I don't know that this is an unjust way to set up your your society and your and your legal system because they even what, make that point. What I think they... what makes a legal system unjust is um is 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 not understanding why you're going to get in trouble or what the punishment is going to be right and so. I think that the Federation has come up with a legal system which works for them, which is extremely transparent. You know, Picard says in this episode that um, they're able to detect the seeds of criminal, uh, you know, yeah. intent and, and, and fix it in some way. They don't have capital punishment anymore. They don't need it because they don't have criminals, which, okay, fine. Um, it seems a little creepy to me, but they, they seem to accept it. But I think the Edo way works as well. You know, I think if if, if they, you know... It seems like they publish it does well no, they don't publish where the punishment zones are, so everybody just sort of assumes that they're always in one. Yeah. And they know what the they know exactly what's going to happen if they break the law and they are in a punishment zone. And so it's very transparent, it's very open, they all know what's gonna happen, except for the fact that they don't know where the punishment zone is going to be. And that just needs to be the way that the, the that the enforcement works. Because of course if they published it you would have people who were just yeah. you know raping and pillaging and whatever willy nilly because they could. And it, um, it's you know it's funny because I do get the sense that there isn't necessarily that much of a drive to uh, 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 criminality in the first place beyond the laws. Given that, I mean, you say raping, I doubt there is really any rape in the society just because their attitudes towards sex seem to be very a lot more comfortable you know what i mean like i i, I don't think that yeah but i think it, I, I mean i you know i don't want to get into a long discussion about rape but no i, think, I mean but the, but i mean rape is obviously more about 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 power than it is about sex and yeah so, and i don't see them as necessarily this is in a uh, what more power could they want they're in a beautiful planet they seem to all be fed they're hanging around they're just running you know like i guess there is less of i i, I suggest there is no rape more because there is that's doesn't seem like that would make sense in this society. It seems it, like they would not. Why would anybody want to kill each other? What are you, you know, were they running faster than you that day? Like, what, what, right. uh, you know, this is a society that is able to have essentially a utopia. And there is, the crimes seem to be more accident. You know, they don't seem to have the conception of Wesley doing this as accidental um, I almost wonder if there's a conception of, well, if you're the kind of person who's just going to be an idiot and jump into flower beds, you're going to cause some damage at some point. This is a society which has been very chaotic. I think they have, you know, part of the, there may be a kind of eugenics thing going on here, possibly, and maybe that is a more sinister undertone to the capital punishment than originally was, but... I wonder if this is their way of weeding out what they see as seeds of criminality. We don't know. They kind of talk about their past as if it's... It reminded me a lot of, like, past Vulcan from what we've heard. Yeah. Um. You you have to assume of these beings, these, these crazy, chaotic, horrible, you know, monsters, and... And at the end of the day, the thing I find most interesting about this planet and its inhabitants is that, you know, once they do get to a point where capital punishment is no longer necessary and the God being moves on, you know, I, I, I think in, you know, three or four hundred years, yeah. they'll be Federation members. Oh, yeah. You know, I think they're already, you know, more than halfway there. 
Um, and the Federation certainly does have yeah. its own values and its own ideals and its own legal systems. But the Federation, it doesn't seem to me to be an organization which, you know, privileges, you know, internal, uh, uh, it privileges external um, values over internal ones, right? I well, think that what, is the prime directive, yeah. what, what they really want is they want suitable candidates in the federation that that believe in their values they're not they're not imposing them on anybody and so if the edo get there then they can be federation members if the edo never get there that's okay too well here's the thing i mean we have this the laws on this are not necessarily to oppress these are this is not an oppressive legal system it is one which they have felt is necessary in order to have a thriving society i mean that is the function of any good legal system to ensure the smooth functioning of society and you know we may find it horrifying it has to be smooth functioning i mean they all wear white imagine how much laundry they all have to do every day ew um they oh and they're all they're all they're doing is boning so those must be just disgusting yeah hmm. i mean obviously they would have actually been running around naked like, they're only wearing clothes because it's television. I was going to say, yeah, if this was on HBO. Um, I love that they don't seem to realize that sending the 13-year-old boy on the horny sex planet is going to possibly be, you know, not necessary. Like, wait, 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 cards, like, obviously they're putting, you know, this is Wesley's first away mission because it's, as far as they know, going to be a very light, easy one in the sun, but... When they say that, like, the way his mother looks so proud, I mean, no, nobody thinks, like, gee, maybe he sh- we should just see what the kids are like first. I, I don't, don't know. I don't think that—I I don't really get the sense that, that in this, you know, in this era— that they're very uptight about that, but I mean, they're, uh, they all they all they, they all they seem all... very welcoming, you know, to having their chests rubbed. And... But they all seem a little, also almost giggly, embarrassed for the well, history in the beginning. And I don't think it's I, I don't I think it's a little sure. I think there's a little bit of that, but I don't think that they. And it does more from come from like Tasha Yar, for example, who you know would be a bit more restrained just in her. Bearing. You know, the, obviously the, the 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 Federation is not a society that yeah. that is like the Edo for each sexuality. But at the same time, I don't get the hmm. sense that there's any hangups over it either. But and Wesley so, has all of them, which is interesting. Well, yeah, but Wesley is 13 years old. I mean, you know. Yeah, but. At 13, you're just like, you don't know what the hell's going on. Oh, yeah. And, and every, everything is age. everything is awkward and weird, you yeah. know. So. Or maybe he's fifteen, but anyway, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's. I think it's that sweater that that's just his problem. But yeah, and why is he wearing a sweater on like a nice sunny day? I uh, anyway. Um, what would you give this episode? Um, I would give this episode three barely covering straps of clothing. Really? Yeah, I, I liked it more than I thought I, I, I did. So did um, I. Five for me. It, it's a, it's a good, I think it's a solid episode of the original, uh, of the original series. It, it, it's a solid episode of The Next Generation. In the first you know season. something? I think I liked it more when I wa- first watched it than I do talking about it. I don't know. That could be. That could be. All right. Well, next week, we are going to talk about The Battle, The Return of the Ferengi, which I know you're going to be very excited about, and Hiding Q, The Return of Q. Oh, no. It's a two for next week. Oh, God. We'll see you then.